when you have a clear, concise mental picture of what you want to achieve and a burning desire to achieve it, um, Napoleon Hill wrote that in Think and Grow Rich. It really is true when it comes to wealth management that you're able to accelerate the, your impact, not only in your wealth, but also in every area of your life. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 166. Clark, how's it going? What's going on in your world? Nothing much, man. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy New Year's. Happy Holidays. I mean, everything, right? Yeah, dude. Right. We're right in the middle of the holidays. It's great. Y'all do anything fun or, or you got any traditions? Yeah, just that... we're able to see some family. You guys took a little bit a little trip, huh? Yeah, yeah. We are uh, about to be heading here on a trip here. Just uh, actually, I think this will be releasing when we're on our on our trip. So yeah, it'll be great. Yeah, I could ask you how it was, but since we're recording it, and we did that last year, I think. We were like, oh, you know, how, how was your trip? Oh, we went skiing. It's kind of hard to talk about what you're going to be doing a week and a half in the future if you don't know for sure. Yeah, it's totally true. Which, which brings me to our, our topic today. You know, God, we started this year, the Dow rose quite significantly, and we're closing out the year on on quite the bull run just can, keeps it continuing obviously we had a little bit of a, a hiccup mid-year with with coronavirus and uncertainty around that and i think there's still a lot of uncertainty but nonetheless the market's up you know real estate seems to be rocking and rolling in most places where it keeps saying this every year where there's a record low interest rates and uh, you know it doesn't it doesn't really seem that we're going to have a lot of change here going into 2021. Obviously, we'll have a new, you know, changeover of the guard and the presidency and whatnot. But for the most part, I mean, I, the fundamentals in a lot of places are there, except for our national debt just keeps continuing to grow. We keep continuing yeah. to put money to the market, right? Yeah. Who knows the significance of that anymore? I mean, that, that, I mean, that maybe seems like a silly comment. Of course, it's significant, but. They, but we've been talking about this for who knows how many years. Mm-hmm. And every year it just keeps going up and up and up and nothing seems to change. So I have no sense of how that gets figured out. The interesting thing is when the November 7th election was coming up, it was a big, I thought, and I think others thought like, oh, if Biden wins, the market's going to drop because Trump's done all his tax plans and, and you know, all this and that. And always oh, been so gung-ho about 401k investments, right? He's always tweeting about that nonsense. So, but you haven't seen that. The market's gone up since the election. So it, that didn't seem to be the case. Yeah, I think there's a couple things at play. One, I think we're we're, we're gaining momentum, obviously, with the, the vaccine here with coronavirus. I think the other thing is a lot of the market fundamentals are there. You know, obviously, the Fed pumped in a ton of money. I mean, it's crazy, though, right? Like, you hear about all these people losing jobs, but I also drive around and just even my own companies. I mean, I'm trying to hire like crazy. I can't, I can't find people to hire, you know? So you hear about all these people losing jobs. But then everywhere I drive and in my own businesses, I'm trying to hire constantly. So there's a lot of interesting things on the macro and the micro level, you know, that play into that. Typically, the market, if you look at the history, it responds well when there's not one party or, or, or one agenda that controls, you know, all three major branches of, of the government. And I think that's where the market is essentially trying to price in some of that right now, where they don't think that that there will be a, a, a sweep, at least in the Senate, and that the Republicans will hold con- control of the Senate. Now, that's to be determined still, but I think the market's priced in that because I think there would be some adjustment of some uncertainty 
you know, if one, they thought he was going to do a lot of things that are on his agenda or two, if you had the, the, you know, the votes to, you know, between the Senate and the House to really make it all happen. Yeah. Just so many moving pieces. I think it's hard to look at. It'll be an interesting year. 2021 will be an interesting year. And hopefully, realistically, by when? Summer, maybe end of the year. Everything's really gone out, full vaccination. But hopefully things start getting a little bit more normal and back on track. And it'll be interesting to see where we go. I mean, you mentioned the long bull market and who knows how much longer it really lasts. We had a bit, obviously, of a pullback in March, but eight months, not much of a pullback, really. No, no. Or less than that, three or four months until it was back, right? Yeah. What what are what are you big big things you're trying to accomplish here? You know, in your personal investment life, or do you have any of that all figured out yet? Here, going forward for 2021, you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I you know one goal I have just candidly is I'd like to buy a rental property, a single family home, probably. So we've had a few people come on that talk about using turnkey properties, whether that's in Memphis or Ohio or Alabama, Arkansas. I think those are the states that have been mentioned. I've also looked at buying one in Texas, maybe one up by you. So, you know, that's one goal I have for, for the upcoming year and, and hopefully that pans out. Why why have you chosen single family rental? I kind of want to just try it. You know, I, I think if you can get four or $500 in cash flow, and I think if you buy a $100,000 house, it's cheap to get in. You know, it's a, it's a question we ask all the time is, oh, why do you have all these single families? Why don't you just scale up? Well, the answer is somebody doesn't have $400,000 to put in right away to scale up. So, I think I think part of me wants to dabble. I think part of it is just for fun. I want to try it out, see how it goes, see what mm-hmm. my experiences is. And I think you can get, I think a lot of the times if you get a low end single family rental, you can get a higher cash on cash return. Yeah. Yeah. It depends and on You don't order. have to wait to find a good deal necessarily. So I, I don't like sitting on tons of cash, you know, but it, I don't also want to spend the cash just to spend the cash. So if you find a good opportunity, I think it's worth taking regardless of the investment in a sense. I mean, you could always hire a property management company and make it less of a headache. And that's probably the route I go just because I'm in New York. I mean, I'm not going to go buy a single family rental on Fifth Avenue. Yeah, totally. It's good stuff, man. I'm I'm a little bit in the same boat looking for for some opportunities, you know, obviously for our investors, you know, on on, on the multifamily commercial side and and, uh, you know, getting into some other stuff and potentially trying to acquire another business or, or, or two or something. Uh, for 2021, it's going to be an interesting year, I think, just in general in the markets. And, and obviously, I've, I've shared this on the show that I just don't put in very much more into into those investments anymore. Um, just kind of letting them ride. So, yeah, it's going to be a good yeah. year. And, you know, my strategy has not changed uh, at all going into 2021. In fact, I'm probably more aggressive, you know, on the real estate and, and business side. Yeah, and this is certainly something we want to do. Find you know find another couple great deals this year and send it out to potential investors here on the show that are interested. So we'll look at that, and those of you that have reached out, we'll continue to send those opportunities as they come. And if somebody else, if you're interested in syndicated real estate opportunities, you're an accredited investor, feel free to reach out to us. Our email is millionairesunveiled at gmail dot com, and we'll keep you posted on any opportunities that that we get. Last week, we had Daniel. He had a net worth of $10 million and the founder of the newsletter Future Money Trains. He has a broad list of investments and, and definitely has one of the higher net worths uh, of millionaires that we've had on the show. So great interview with him. He's definitely more of an entrepreneur, an entrepreneurial mindset. 
Today, we have Jonathan. He works as a financial advisor. We discuss his career and journey as a financial advisor and want to make sense to have one as, as part of your team. Appreciate y'all turning in, tuning into the podcast week after week. If you enjoy the show, we'd appreciate leaving a five-star review on either iTunes or Stitcher. really helps us continue to grow the show and, and reach new millionaire interviewees. And just for our listeners going into 2021, we have some phenomenal interviews coming up, some of the ones I'm most excited for. Uh, you know, we've got another plumber coming up. We've got all sorts of, uh, you know, everyday millionaires from all over the world, all over the United States, all sorts of different investment allocations. So it's going to be a great, great, great year, 2021. I'm really looking forward to what we have in store for the show and our new website. And we've got a course coming out and all sorts of interesting and, and awesome things for our, for our listeners and our, and our following. We appreciate y'all. And, and really, this show would not be what it is without y'all. So we appreciate that. Without any further delay, let's get into the episode with Jonathan. Jonathan, do you want to just give us a little about your background and kind of what you do now? Yeah, thanks, Clark. I'd be happy to. So I am the CEO, and I should say steward, of Lionsgate Advisors. It's a wealth management firm based out of St. Louis. And my wife and I have been married for a little over seven years. It'll be eight years this summer. We're expecting our third. Uh, we have a, a three-and-a-half-year-old and a two-year-old at this time, and uh, we're just growing a family and growing our business and uh, serving families to accelerate the impact of their wealth. Awesome. And we're going to get a little bit into to what you do and stuff, but kind of, do you want to just paint a picture for, for our audience, kind of where you've come from and how you got into what you're doing today? Yeah, thanks. It started off right out of high school. I was in Russia with my parents uh, back in 93 through 96, and uh, so I'm a little bit older than you guys, but... The um, you know, what happened was I was uh, asked to give be a tour guide for a group of Americans that had come uh, to visit St. Petersburg and and to give them a tour of St. Petersburg and Moscow, and I witnessed a gentleman that was very generous with his giving, and I I was so amazed by the, the impact he had in people's lives. I went up to him afterwards and I said, "What is it that you do? Because I want to do it." I haven't seen anybody else that's come here in a three-year time frame and given as generously as you have made the impact in people's lives. And he would literally had a wad of $100 bills that it was, uh, you know, had a rubber band around in his pocket that at the end of meeting with somebody, if he had felt prompted to, he would uh, give them that as a blessing. And uh, I just was amazed by his generosity and was compelled that one day I would want to be in a business that afforded me the opportunity to do the same thing. And it wasn't until uh, three years ago, no, two and a half years, two years ago, about this time, that I actually ran into him again. And that was, uh, it had been over 24 years that I'd met him. And we met in Lisbon, Portugal, uh, when I was on vacation. Uh, you don't remember me, but I was a young man that gave you a tour in St. Petersburg and Moscow. And uh, just the impact he had alone in my life really helped me get to where I'm at today. Uh, to give the kind of paint the trajectory of being in wealth management and finance. Wow, that's pretty crazy. So, so what was he a financial advisor? Yeah, I had no clue. He told me he did international finance, and come to find out, he's one of the lead life insurance agents uh, for billionaires here in the nation. Well, let me just circle back, Jonathan, on your on your uh, history a little bit. When did you become a financial advisor? Is that what you always did? Did you have a career in something else? You know, I started off uh, my senior year of college doing an internship with Primerica, which is the marketing division of Citigroup. And so uh, right away, you know, I had a desire to do international business uh, because of my experience in Russia. And uh, graduating from college, I thought I'd want to work with a financial firm uh, since that was uh, Richard's impact of where he had worked and kind of the influence that he had had. 
And so I thought that would be a good career path and work my way up uh, really through finance uh, in one form or another, whether it was in uh, the broker-dealer side, working with a wirehouse through City, uh, or uh, actually going through and starting my own firm uh, and being able to identify how to become an independent, uh, really be taken on a fiduciary role. So there's been different forms of the roles I've taken over the years, but for the past Close to 20 years now, I have been, this has been where I focused on and devoted my life to. Okay, awesome. And just for our listeners, we wanted to bring Jonathan on the show because often the question that we ask to uh, each of the interviewees, whether millionaire or close to becoming a millionaire, is, is have you used a financial advisor, right? And, and many of them have and many of them have not. And so we just thought it would be fun, you know, occasionally we like to bring on a guest and in the financial space and, and talk about some of these things. So that's why Jonathan's on today. So let me ask this, Jonathan, first, who in your eyes should should use and pay a financial advisor? Great question. It'd be kind of like asking a professional athlete, do you need a coach and what purpose or value does he bring? So anytime you're wanting to be a of success, I think you need a coach in your life that's going to help you build, see things that you don't see and help you get to a place that you can't get to on your own. And so for each person, that could be answered differently, right? Um, someone may have had great fundamentals that they learned from an early age on how to be able to be frugal with what they had, how to be able to invest. I know that I started when I was in fifth in sixth grade, learning how to be able to invest in the stock market and understanding that. And was always intrigued by it, but didn't really get into it until college. Uh, but had the fundamentals to understand, hey, it's good to be out of debt. You got to build up an emergency fund. And just the books that I was encouraged to read throughout. And uh, also it helped with my own experience of having to become an Eagle Scout when I was 16, uh, of setting goals and being able to learn about personal finance, my experience was drastically different than someone that never had that imprinting early on in their life, as I know you guys have had as well. So when when I think about who needs a financial advisor, I really look for the level of sophistication of what are their goals and do they have clarity around the purpose of what they want to achieve and do they need someone to help get to the next level. And for a lot of our clients, uh, we find about 50% of them uh, have had a financial advisor and another 50% have not. But they get to a point where they're saying, I need someone that can help me identify tax strategies to convert my tax liability of what I owe my favorite uncle and be able to convert that into an uh, income-producing asset or a tax-free investment strategy. Uh, Depending on the level of sophistication or uh, the size really varies, but it's all around what the next uh, next step or next goal for that individual or family is. Okay. So you say t- tax-free retirement, revenue streams, and, and, and how to kind of minimize taxes, right? What are some of the strategies you work with your clients on in that regard? And David McKnight wrote a book called The Power of Zero, after he had, and he had interviewed uh, the former Comptroller General um, of the U.S. His name was David Walker. Uh, about what is ahead of us in the economy and understanding that there's a tsunami of debt that our country has, and we continue to add to that with every additional bailout or quantitative easing or stimulus package, that it will force the, our country to have to raise interest rates, I'm sorry, not interest rate, not only interest rates, but also taxes at some point. And historically, the historical highs for taxes have been as high as 90%. If you remember um, President Ronald Reagan, he had been an actor in the past, and he had at uh, one point living in California, uh, he would only produce two films a year because the highest marginal income tax bracket was 90%. And if you made over 200000 a year, then 90% would go to federal, 8% state, 
So he'd only make two cents on every dollar. So he would only make two uh, two films a year and only paid a hundred thousand per film uh, for that reason. So when we think of most of the families we've sat down with have created their wealth via tax deferred investments and or and in taxable accounts, they've set up where they're having to continue to pay taxes each year on the taxable accounts, uh, meaning their brokerage accounts or their bank accounts, or they've had to defer it until sometime in the future of paying those taxes and they've received a deduction if they funded their 401k or their IRA. Uh, So if you were to think the tax situation in the future, Clark and Jason, would you guys agree that the taxes will most likely increase in the future? Or do you think I agree with that? So, you know, if we're looking at uh, taxes being at a relative discount in comparison to what they could be in the future, we have to look at tax strategies to look at how do we convert those IRAs or 401ks or tax deferred accounts now into a Roth or understand what are the three tax uh, codes that allow for it to grow tax exempt or tax free? How do you move it to that bucket? And there's really three. Uh, one is the Roth that I've already mentioned that came out in 1993. The other is taking a look at um, muni- munis or municipal bonds, which aren't really that appealing. And the third is life insurance. And that's talking around IRS tax code 7702. And what is interesting is that 90, I would venture to guess 90 to 95% of all the policies that are set up by uh, for life insurance are not designed around that tax code. They're designed about what makes the most commissions for an insurance agent or what is actually most profitable for the insurance company. And so the industry has really received a bad rap. But when you're working with a fiduciary that is um, in tune with understanding tax strategies and has built that at an institutional or wholesale product of, of being able to engineer it for the best use as a fiduciary for the clients, that's where you can start to transfer those assets after paying taxes on them into an account that can oftentimes have double-digit um, internal rates of return and a significantly high withdrawal rates when you need to have access to it. So that's been those are the three different areas that we find. And you, typically, you need to pair a any type of conversion or any income that you have. So if you have high high earners, high income earners that are not quite yet rich, uh, we call them Henrys. So do you need to be able to understand what are some of the tax credits and tax strategies to be able to uh, get that you can leverage to be able to reduce uh, what you uh, what you owe to Uncle Sam, and not, I'm not talking about tax evasion. I'm talking about there's really two two different tax codes in the world: uh, the, those for the informed and those for the uninformed. And uh, it, it's each person's liberty to be able to determine. Uh, I think it was Judge Leonard Hand who actually came up with that quote. Um, each person can be able to make a decision: uh, do they want to be proactive about it and work with a team that can help them navigate? that transition. While we have this window currently, and I think we've got a window at least until right now, unless it changes, where the current tax reform won't sunset until 2026. Gotcha. So I, I want to go back to kind of, you said a bad look for the industry. On financial advisors, sometimes they do get a bad rap, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and and it's either from what people hear, right? Or from their own experience. So so I'm just curious why you think it is, and and obviously I, you know, you're trying to build it back the other way. But why do you think it, financial advisors get a bad rap? Well, I think the the industry in, its whole, in itself is set up to be able to have broker dealers or advisors work for companies that have pro, um, products that are sold based off the profitability for the company rather than what's in the best interest of the consumer, or the individual. 
So historically, that's been very true. And, uh, you know, the DOL and the SEC are really working on creating this Reg BI, uh, which is the regulatory best interest for everyone to have to use. You know, RAAs, registered investment advisors, uh, have always been fiduciaries who uh, could not charge, uh, could not earn a commission on investment investment assets, whereas a broker-dealer, someone that was a registered representative, anyone that was working at a brokerage house or wirehouse like your your main box companies, uh, they're all paid a commission on what they sell. And so that's why there's really been a bad rep is that they have an incentive to sell a product rather than create a, a uncorrelated investment strategies to help families accumulate wealth. But most of the wealth that we're seeing being created is not created via mutual funds and um, indices uh, is uh, from investments in real estate, uh, investment in businesses, um, uh, pink slips for venture capital, or from those investments or stocks that they held on from early stage investing that appreciated over time. Yeah. So, Jonathan, do you advise people on those other asset classes or do you stick primarily to, to what you described in those three buckets before? Well, the three buckets really comprise any type of asset class. So, you know, whether it's taxable or tax deferred or tax exempt, uh, any of the investments you guys are aware of can be in any one of those. And that would be true for anyone in the U.S. The difference being is that most of the time, families are unaware of them because it's not publicly taught and it's not widely accepted among financial advisors. Financial advisors stick to what they know. They may say mutual funds or stocks or bonds. Uh, maybe some guys do insurance, but most of the guys uh, that do insurance are just insurance agents. Most of the guys that do investments are just that. And they don't have, they haven't done what it takes to be able to become a true expert on how to look holistically. And that's why I use that term financially for how the, how can they use uncorrelated investment strategies for the best use for the families or individuals. And it's simply, why do you have um, some guys that make it to the NFL and, and others don't? Uh, some guys have the desire to be able to become the best at what they can be um, and learn to uh, be the best at the craft. And there's not to belittle people that have are focused on mutual funds or investments uh, with their licenses. They just haven't stretched themselves to be able to be the best in all areas. So, Jonathan, let's let's switch gears here a little bit. What are some of your clients worried about right now? And what are some things that they're coming to you in the, given the environment that we're in? We're recording this mid-April. We've got global pandemic going on. Many states, including the state that I'm in in Texas, is, is, is looking at reopening the economy. But we've got yeah. you know, 20 million people that, that are without jobs right now. Right. And I guess what, what was the question again? What are some of your clients coming to you asking about right now? I mean, we've seen a, a massive hit in the market, you know, from, yeah. from highs in January, February. What are they yeah. concerned about now? And, and what are what are they coming to y'all and asking about? That's a good question. So, Jace, the, we had seen this coming. Um, we knew it was going to happen at some point. So, for the past several years, we've been diversifying our clients using uncorrelated investment strategies so that a very small amount of their overall investments uh, were impacted by uh, the market correction that we saw happen in March and that are currently impacted now, even as we see the COVID uh, crisis can persist. So, one of the differences, is, and the reason why I say that, Jason, is because we've taken an approach of benchmarking our clients' purpose and their goals. And when you have clear alignment and co- collectively understood goals and really have an understanding of what that means to you and what does that mean for your family 
and how what where do you derive meaning from that? Then you're able to create strategies or be able to get advice that helps achieve those goals and that purpose, and then document that, and then have a plan to or to get advice that's in relation to what you want to achieve. And when you're able to document that, or you have a an advisor that's able to quarterback that that understand the clarity of that purpose and then develop that plan and make sure that the other trusted advisors on the team, whether it's the CPAs or the state attorneys, come together collectively to build out better recommendations. It elevates the level of service and advice that you get. And so for our clients, uh, there's only been a couple people that we've had to walk back off the edge that were wanting to sell everything and walk, you know, just kind of not walk away, but put it all in cash because they're so uncertain. But most of our, uh, I should say all of our clients for that matter, have, have really wanted to hear more from us about what's happening in the economy. Uh, how, what are we doing as far as are we looking at other additional uh, uncorrelated assets to be able to bring onto our platform? And those have really been strong, great conversations to have. And it's really given us additional opportunity to take advantage of these. Uh, I believe it will be a prolonged downturn in the market. It's not going to just be this V-shaped bounce. But those are some of the things that we're seeing our clients are interested in, uh, most of which because we've been working closely together for uh, either weeks, months, or years to be able to help them develop plans so they wouldn't wouldn't be significantly impacted or derailed from their life pursuit or their purpose that they had for their money. Sure. So should should people be putting money into the, to the market right now, do you think? You know what? I think that between now and 2022, we're going to probably see some of the greatest opportunity for wealth generation um, in our country. Be, and that's simply because I don't think the market's at the peak uh, economically. There's a lot still, you know, once you have an excess of debt, there's got to be a, um, a kind of a, I want to call the system has to kind of blow off the excess debt and uh, and come back to a normalization of prices of the PE ratios for the firms. Um, and right now we've had a, it's overinflated and continues to be while some come in alignment uh, and present great opportunities uh, it's just amazing. We're finding that some of our dividend strategies, we've got uh, our dividend portfolio currently, uh, even though there's been so many layoffs and so many people that are not receiving income, we're still hitting double digit um, dividend re- yield on a on a quarterly basis. And so throughout a year, I should say, it's averaging out to a double digit dividend uh, where they're just able to use that to repurchase additional assets or shares of those uh, underlying holdings. So, you know, when you're when you're attuned to that, you can create a lot of wealth whether it's using active or adaptive strategies and I absolutely believe that over this next uh, really this next 2 or 3 years we're going to see a great opportunity for those that have been on the sidelines that are just starting to get into, you know, hey, I want to wait till the market comes down. You really need a dollar cost average into this market. And be able to say, okay, I'm just going to have a plan to consistently buy in whether the market's up or down because it's going to be pretty volatile and uh, you'll have some great opportunities to create wealth for yourself if you do so. Yeah, that's what we're seeing now, right? Huge swings, at least this week, big swings every day for the most part, up and down, up and down, right? Yeah. yeah. So on the dividend side, don't, do you think, though, that a lot of these companies, I mean, it's already been announced, right? Some of them are starting to stop pay the dividends or, yeah. or certainly pay less. Yeah. And that's absolutely true. That's the majority of them, by the way. Yeah. So it, it, you talked about kind of getting a clear picture on on investments and then being able to help people get to where they want to go. What if somebody doesn't know that? 
right? What if, what if somebody comes to you and says, look, I'm making X amount of money. I can save Y amount, you know, whatever. And, and I don't, I don't know what to do, right? I, I've, I've heard it's important. I want to take a little bit of control, but I don't know the direction. At, at that point, what's the conversation? Is it just finding out their risk appetite and, and seeing whether they're interested in something like real estate or, or something else? Or what's kind of your answer to somebody who may approach you with that type of question? Well, I'd like to come back, Clark, and be able to ask a few more clarifying questions. I know we've all heard the question, what keeps you up at night? But rather than asking that question, I'd rather ask, what's most meaningful for them? Is it quality of life? Uh, Are they looking for deeper relationships? Are they looking for more peace of mind? And how would they quantify it? And they they may not be able to quantify it. Or we've had some clients come to us say, you know, I really wanted to be able to make sure I could have a, a... a vacation for, you know, at least a couple times a year for a week at a time with my family. I want to continue to do that while we're accumulating wealth or saving for retirement. Okay. I just got clarity on two things. One, they, it, they do want to save for retirement. And the other is they want to be able to make sure to have the, their vacations with the family because that quality time is important. Uh, others have come saying, you know, I've got a, a tremendous amount that I owe the IRS each year, but I'd rather give more away to charities. How can I do that more efficiently? and still be able to save for retirement and make an impact in those the communities that I uh, really feel strongly about. So for each person, there's a different answer to that. Wealth managers are traditionally, it's like they've all gone through a, um, and, and by the way, we're considered kind of an advisor's advisor. So I'm not trying to beat up traditional wealth management. By no means am I trying to encompass uh, every advisor you've ever met. It's just I'm speaking in blanket terms for the industry. Most of which all have a regulation because of the SEC to ask uh, the questions about your risk tolerance and what you're willing to be able to participate in downside risk and upside potential. And most of our clients have never come to us saying, hey, I want to be able to give you a letter that I sign off and allow you to lose me 40% and with the potential to make upside. They, they've come through and said, I would rather you not lose anything and make as much as possible, right? And so that's not always going to be possible. And so that's why there's the risk tolerance questionnaire, and then they, you're kind of pigeonholed into a, a into a risk profile, if you will. That's not always in alignment for what you want to what you want to achieve or the purpose. And so when we see that, when we see there's a disconnect between someone's risk preference and their goals, we have to start thinking outside the box for what other asset classes, whether it's real estate or or whether it's um, taking a look at the stock market or just looking at insurance products of what's the best combination of those strategies to be able to help them achieve their risk preference, but really make sure that the what we're benchmarking isn't whether or not they're conservative or aggressive, but are they on, on track to accomplish their goal? And we spend a lot more time around that because when you have a clear, concise mental picture of what you want to achieve and a burning desire to achieve it, um, Napoleon Hill wrote that in Think and Grow Rich. It really is true when it comes to wealth management that you're able to accelerate your impact, not only in your wealth, but also in every area of your life. I like that. I think, I think it's a good answer having a little bit of clarity about what you want and, and helping get there, right? With, with the risk in mind. So I I just want to shift gears here. When, and I know you, you guys probably do a little bit of this, right? Like dealing with estate attorneys and wills and, and that sort of stuff. When should somebody make a will? I mean, obviously, I think the answer is going to be right away, right? Yep. But when, 
When should that all be in line? Should Jace, who's 32 years old with two kids, should he have an estate attorney right now and a will and a financial advisor? Should he have that all lined up at a young age or is it easier to just have a will and say that's that's okay for now? You know, it's great you asked that question. It was one that struck me when I was right out of college because my dad said to me, um, and at the time I was living in Colorado or my family still is and I was climbing 14ers every weekend. I've climbed uh, 27 uh, of the 53 or 54, arguably, uh, 14ers in in Colorado, and uh, some of them many times over. And my dad came to me and said, well, son, have you ever thought about what happens if you get hurt on the mountain? I said, well, no, not really. And he said, what if you die? I said, "Uh, I haven't ever thought about dying. And he said, well, that may be something for you to think about because if you don't have any insurance, that could possibly bankrupt your mom and I. And I thought, oh. I had never considered how it could impact someone else or, you know, if they had to fly my body off of a mountain or have a team go up and uh, drag me off, whatever it may be. And I've carried people off the mountain before, but I hadn't thought about the impact it'd have. So when you start to look past yourself and you have a self-awareness of and also how it may impose on others, um, trying to sort through what you've what you have or your personal effect, then that's when you need to get a will. And I would say that. That's probably as early as when you become age of majority. But when it comes to determining if you want to have an estate plan versus a will, that's really up to the individual. I guess the question I'd have for you, if the difference between a will and having a trust is that if you have a will, everyone in the world gets to know about what you did or didn't do. I mean, it becomes public information. But if you have an estate plan and a trust, then you can keep that private and confidential only to the beneficiaries uh, that you were the grantor for. Interesting. So, so talk a little bit about more about that. That's kind of new to me. So, what do you mean it becomes totally public? Oh, it's uh, like I don't know if you've if you're aware, but it becomes um, a public information at that point of what wealth that you had, the properties that you held, how much wealth that you'd accumulated, and where it's going. So that's how come we get so much information from. You're, pre- I'm trying to think of who some of the biggest people were, but you've the Michael Jackson estate. And some of the other major actors and actresses that died without having a will or or having a state plan, they may have had a will, but it was all public information um, that anyone could look up and oftentimes publicize. When it's an estate plan with a trust, it's um, registered uh, with the with the state or with the courthouse, so that it stays private, and all your personal information is uh, only released to the beneficiaries of the trust who are outlined in the trust. The, so the, the information that they receive is a copy of the trust for who's getting what and, and how that's going to be dispersed. But otherwise, it's public. Okay, interesting, interesting. So just totally changing gears here, Jonathan, I was just kind of thinking about this as you were answering that. What would be your, I'm going to call it your order of operations to invest, right? So if somebody has money, and they or they have a job, right? They make yep. let's just call it sixty grand. Where should they start investing? Is it? I would think the first step would be through their matched four hundred one k at work, right? After that, because it's free money, right? After that, where where would you say? Is it a Roth IRA? Is it an HSA? Is it a five twenty nine? Is it something else? I mean, where do, where does somebody? I'm just trying to think for the person who's starting out here, right? Where should they kind of prioritize their investments? Yeah, and Clark, looking at the, how to prioritize, to speak further into the 401k, I would never invest into tax-deferred accounts. So I know it's going to come as a shock, but let me clarify. 
if I'm if I believe the taxes are going to go up and it could t- could potentially increase or double in my lifetime, would I rather pay taxes on the seed or the harvest? Right. Right. I'm with so, you there. So if I'm going to pay taxes on the seed, then I'm willing to go ahead in my 401k to invest my contributions into the 401k Roth. If I'm limited to the 401k Roth and then I want to maximize the 401k, one unknown fact for a lot of people is that any excess contribution you make to your 401k above the limit each year is now after-tax contributions into your 401k, which can later be rolled into a Roth, even if you make more than is permissible for Roth contributions. Right. So the reason when we look at a Roth, if it's available and you want to be in the stock market, a Roth IRA can make a lot of sense for where you invest your after-tax dollars outside of your work 401k, because you can have more discretion over where it's positioned or how it's invested. Sure. The other alternative is to use, um, I got to say this um, with some discretion, about 90 to 95% of insurance policies that we find in the market are not sold to this design that I'm about to speak to. But if you have a life insurance policy that's a wholesale policy that's institutional grade, it can really become an investment grade life insurance policy where the internal cost over a 20-year period average out to about 1, 1.5%, which is typical of what you may find with a mutual fund or ETFs over time, even in the 401k. When we're looking at after-tax dollars, or where to put it, uh, a, a life insurance policy that's structured that way can make a lot of sense because it really becomes a rich man's Roth. Now, what's interesting is that the when I compare a Roth and a life insurance policy structured in the manner I've just discussed, the tax code for the um, Roth IRA was really taken from looking at how the uh, 7702 accounts were set up with the restrictions around them for the life insurance, meaning that for a Roth, you had to have a Roth IRA for at least five years before you could withdraw the principal. Uh, and and should, uh, let me rephrase, oh, you could before you could withdraw the interest. Now, if you're under 59 and a half, you're penalized, well, with the exception of this year, uh, by 10% uh, for the withdrawal that you've made from your Roth or from your IRA or 401k. I say with the exception of this year for 2020, because the CARES Act uh, gave a one-time uh, an exception for for this year for a certain percentage. But when we think about long-term for the investing, the life insurance tax code was originally written that you had to be able to fund the policy for uh, at least a five-year time frame. With the so so that and the ideal was that there was a seven-year limit of how much you could overfund the policy. Back in the early 80s, life insurance policies didn't have these restrictions uh, prior to the 1980s. And so the Rockefellers, the Kennedys, uh, each of these family, even Disney, funded his first theme park from using the cash value of a life insurance policy because at the time there wasn't a restriction how how much you could overfund. It'd be like having a Roth IRA that you could overfund the amount that you put into the account, allow it to go tax-free, and then bill or tax-deferred, and if structured correctly, you'd be able to receive it tax-free. And they were able to do that through the form of positive arbitrage from the loan of the insurance carrier while allowing the money to continue to sit there and have a dividend at growth. Well, that's kind of a complex structure, but when you think of it, banks wouldn't lend to him. He was able to use that money and build his first theme park. Other families that I mentioned have been able to pass on generationally tax-free estate 
to uh, that's continued to grow year after year. That's all available to the American people. It's just that the industry has gotten a bad rep, and so because the industry hasn't been teaching families how to design it for themselves and hasn't taught advisors how to do that either. So when we think about what I'm talking through, if you didn't, if you could access your money at any time that you had an emergency between the day one and later in life for retirement, you would want to have access to that without penalty, without being able to have paid taxes on it, and to allow it to continue to grow and have a positive arbitrage. That's how life insurance was originally designed, and the death benefit of life insurance was for was secondary in nature. The policies that are designed today typically aren't designed were to maximize the efficiencies of that contract, and because uh, and most advisors aren't trained on how to do that. So when we look at really implementing that into an overall income or a cash flow strategy, if you're able to accumulate cash that you can have access that can still get index returns and participate in gains in the market with having a floor of zero, that can really help you mitigate losses in the market like we've just seen here here in earlier 2020. Awesome. So, so Jonathan, just wrapping up here, tell us a little bit more about Lionsgate Advisors, where people can find you and, and, and get in touch with you. Well, great question. Thank you so much, uh, Clark. So the sole purpose of Lionsgate Advisors is to accelerate the impact of our clients' wealth and enabling them to improve the use and enjoyment and impact of their family's assets to build greater prosperity for a greater purpose. And you can be able to visit our website. For any of you that are business owners, we have a a free uh, complimentary evaluation of your firm, of your business uh, that we offer. You go to lionsgateadvisors.com and on our front site at the, on the first screen there, you'll see a, a, a business evaluation tool that's complimentary if you want to take that and help identify what's the current asset of your business. And for those of you that aren't business owners yet, uh, it's always a great time to start. But typically when we see the markets are down and make a correction is when we see a new growth and uh, injection of entrepreneurs that are getting started with their business. They need a place to ha- benchmark it and how to evaluate uh, what they've done so far or what what they will do in the future. And, and that's where you can reach us is going to our website, lionsgateadvisors.com. It's Lionsgate like the entertainment company um, and then advisors with ORS. Awesome. Well, thanks, Jonathan, for coming on. Really appreciate that, everybody. That's uh, Jonathan from Lionsgate Advisors, financial advisor. Thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate your time. Clark, Chase, thank you very much. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.